Hey, we want to welcome you to the Word of Life AG podcast. This week, Pastor Andy begins a new series called Let's Be Clear. If you're new to our church, we would love to say hi to you. Head on over to wordoflifeag.org slash connect or follow us on Facebook or Instagram to get the latest updates. Now let's head into our service recorded on October 7th. Let's go ahead and get into the Word of God. I'm excited with the Word that we're going to be presenting here today. So let's begin today. Go ahead and grab your smartphones, your tablets, whatever you may need. Not so that you can play a game while I'm preaching, but that you can follow along. Yeah, I know about you. You guys can't fool me one bit. Okay. Uh, This is week one of a new series. It's only going to be a two-week series. I'm doing a couple of two-week series here uh, set before me. But this is week one of a two-week series today entitled... Um, um, let's be clear. Let's be clear part two. And uh, this week's message today is who's in charge? Who's in charge? About a year ago, last year at this time, uh, I did a four-week series that was entitled Let's Be Clear. And uh, I I wanted to cover four different truths that are found in the Word of God um, that are extremely important to every one of us in our walk with God. And those four truths, let me give you the four truths of what it was a year ago. Those four truths were, let's be clear, God forgives us of our sin. Let's be clear that there is a God. Let's be clear that Jesus is the only way. Let's be clear, you must be born again. Those were the four messages that I gave about a year ago. And uh, it is my heart's desire then as well as it is right now. It is my heart's desire that we would draw closer to God than we ever have. And these kind of messages that we bring, it just seems to solidify that for us. It seems to help us to begin to to be launched into who God is and what he has in store for our lives, that we would draw closer to him. So let's dig a little bit in all of that with today's message. Who's in charge? It's a given. As far as I'm concerned, it's a given. It will happen sometime in your life. There's going to come a time, there's going to come a time that, that uh, and maybe even multiple times in your life, that we're all going to have to make a game-changing, life-altering decision. And when you do, we must answer the question, who's in charge? When you're faced with whatever you're faced with right now or tomorrow or next week, next month, whatever it is, you need to ask who is in charge. What is going on? Who is in charge? Way too often, these game-changing decisions are huge. They're huge. They're over our heads. They're above our pay grade. It's difficult to be spot on in the midst of tension like that and decisions that need to be made so quickly. So for some of us, the decisions that we have made in those times of life-changing moments, some of those decisions have worked out well well for us, thank God. He's done something great with that. But there are other times that we've said and done things and we regret that we made the decision that we made. And of course, you know, I know you know this because we teach you this, God is always there for you. God is always there to be able to lead you and guide you into uh, that decision. If you would just seek after him, give me an amen to that. That's a pretty good word. So therefore, I just encourage you to do that. In fact, Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, it's not in your notes, Jeremiah says in 33, Jeremiah 33, he says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. If you need God to show up, you need to call on him. He's not gonna come unless he's invited. So you need, to, you need to allow God to come and be a part of that. So every time we make a life-changing decision, we need to answer the question, who's in charge? Who do you go to? Who are you following? 
Who's in charge of the decisions you're about ready to make? We have, a, we have Joshua in the, in the Old Testament, the leader of Israel. I think he's gonna help us answer that question. Maybe it will give us a little bit of insight. This is not my notes where I'm staying, but this is just a thought that I'd like to share with you. In Joshua chapter five, the commander of the army of the Lord of hosts had appeared to Joshua. He had within his hand, he had a sword uh, in, in his hand. And most theologians, by the way, believe that this, this commander of the Lord's army is actually Jesus himself, and I happen to believe that as well. And uh, Joshua, Joshua is headed off for battle. So he asked the commander who shows up, just shows up, he asked the commander whether he was for Israel or for their enemy. In other words, Joshua said, are you on our side or are you on their side? And do you know what the commander said? Do you know what his answer was? Anybody want to shout it out? What did he say? Neither. Neither. I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. He says, neither. I think the reason why he said that is because there's a better question. The better question for Joshua and for all of us to ask, it's not whether God is on our side, but are we on God's side? Think about it. <laughs> Are we on God's side? I mean, you're going to have troubles. You are going to have problems. Jesus said that's going to happen. There will be days and times that you need to make a life-changing decision. Who is the person in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life that you're making the right decision? And we need to turn to God. We need to have hear God's opinion on things. So listen, there are, there are only two sides to any battle that we face. There's God's side, and of course, there's the devil's side. And we must choose God's side every single time. Every single time. So in keeping with the series, let's be clear kind of series, I want to dig, I want to dig deep into another spiritual truth that I think is going to complement this, and you'll see that at the end. It's going to complement uh, the, the let's, uh, let's be clear series. <clears throat> and what I want to do is that I want to dig into God's word with something that we've said a lot. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've said a lot. If you're not a Christian, if you're not there yet, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, maybe you've heard other people say it. Maybe they've even asked you. The question, are you saved? Are you saved? Oh, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm saved, Pastor. I gave my life to Jesus. My brother just got saved. My, my son, he gave his life to the Lord. He's saved. What does it mean? What does it mean to be saved? What, that's what I want to talk about today is that word being saved. I think, I think this is exciting. I'm really ready to do this. So I want to dig deep into to all of this with you today. What does the word saved mean? What does that mean? And I'm telling you, we're going to go a bit deep. So you need to hang with me. If we're, if we're going for, looking for deeper truths, we're going to go deep. Stay with me. Don't sleep. If you do, don't snore. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Go with me there. I'm going to show you a few scriptures. In fact, I'm going to show you a lot of scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to this. Listen to this. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. There's the word saved. It says, to us who are being saved. There's a present tense to that statement, to, for, uh, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want you to see that there is a past tense to that. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, and it says these words. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. I want you to see that. He himself will be saved. The will be saved is, that's a future tense. We've dealt with the present tense. tense now we're dealing with the future tense. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Are you staying with me? Is everything okay? 
Okay, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. One of my favorites, probably all of you, just about all of you have memorized this verse. I'm not gonna try to because I'll mess it up while you're looking at me, so you make me nervous. But anyhow, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, and it says these words. I love this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. In fact, go with me to verse 9. And it says in verse 9, and, uh, and he says, Not of works lest anyone should boast. Not of works lest anyone should boast. I want you to notice, this is so important. According to Ephesians chapter 2, salvation is by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. Do you agree with that, what the scripture says? It says that. So let me, let me, uh, say it another way. There's not going to be any boasting in heaven. There will be no boasting in heaven. In other words, no one is ever going to come up to you and I when we're in heaven, walking around in heaven saying things like this. Listen, I'm here because, because I got here. I want you to know that I kept the faith that I've worked really, really hard. I'm a good person. I've been a good person for a long time. I did a lot of the right do's and don'ts of life. So I got here because I'm here. Well, the fact of the matter is every, every person in heaven is going to understand you and I will understand this if we commit our lives to Christ, that, um, that they are in heaven completely and totally by the grace of God. And we have simply responded to his grace with a yes. What he offered us, what he says, I want to give you to be saved. We, many, if not most of us in this room, have responded with yes. So here's, here's what we just read in the scriptures. There are those who are being saved, which is a present tense. There are those who will be saved, which is a future tense. And then there are those who have been saved, which is a past tense. Now remember, I'm digging deep with you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna test you and challenge you, so hang with me. So my question to you is this. My question is this. Are you being saved? Will you be saved? Have you been saved? Let me say it again. Think about this. Are you being saved? Will you be saved? And have you been saved? And do you want to know what the answer is? The answer is yes. Yes. Listen carefully. Let's be clear with this subject. Yes, you will be saved and you are being saved if you have been saved. If you have been saved. You see, there's a past tense to the word saved that we need to talk about today, and that's what we're going to be digging into, that we have been saved. So allow me to dig deeper. Maybe a better way, maybe a better way to un understand some of this is some thought like this. Every person, every person is a triune being. I know I've taught on this before, recent in the last few years. I, 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 every person is a triune being. In other words, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. When we talk about being made up of spirit, we're like God himself. God is a spirit. When we're made up of the soul, that's dealing with your emotions and your mind and your will. And when you deal with the body, you're dealing with this house. You're dealing with where we're living right now, where this, this house is. And my house looks pretty good to my wife, that's for sure. But anyhow, that's another subject. Um, but just so you know, we are not a body with a soul. <laughs> I'm glad my wife's not in here right now. She would be going, Ooh. but anyhow, um, <laughs> we, are, we are not a body with a soul, but we are a soul with a body, and that is an important difference. Our body is really only a house. 
This body is only a temporary dwelling place for where I'm living right now, where I really am living right here, this temporary place. Because when our body dies, we don't die. We don't die. We continue to live on forever and ever, for eternity. When we die, we don't die. We live forever. And the Bible tells us that when we die, that we will have a new body in heaven. And all of that, all of that is later in our resurrection. That new body that we're going to to receive, that's a little bit down the road. But our new bodies in heaven are going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. And you have no clue how good I'm really going to look. When I get to heaven, I can see it. You don't have the faith, but I can see it. I'm going to have a new body when I get to heaven. And our new bodies are going to be perfect. You just won't believe it. If you're new to Word of Life, I do want you to know, in all seriousness now, I want you to know that we believe in the power of prayer here at Word of Life. That God can and God does do miracles. We have prayed to God and we pray for people to be healed at Word of Life every single day of the week. We have a time or multiples of us have times where we're praying for people that we know who are in need of a miracle. And I want to let you know there are a lot of amazing testimonies of what God has done as people have prayed for that. But I also want you to know you're still going to die. Welcome to Word of Life. You're going to die, every one of us. Every one of us. This body is going to fail us. It's going to end. The life that we now know, the life that we now live, lets us know that we're going to end that. You know that. The second thing is, is about our soul. We just talked about our bodies, but talk about our souls, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Our souls are being saved. Our souls are being transformed, renewed into the mind of Christ is what the Bible says specifically. It says in James chapter one, it's in your notes right there. It says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Your souls are being saved. Your souls are being saved. And in order to better understand this word saved, dealing with the souls, we've got to go to the original Greek, which is the uh, original language of the New Testament. And the Greek word uh, for uh, being saved is the word, I'll I'll spell it to you first, S-O-Z-O, F-O-Z-O. This is a Greek word. And it's pronounced sodzo, sodzo. Sozo means to be made whole, body, soul, and spirit. This is incredible. To be made whole, body, soul, and spirit. This is a bit crazy, but again, it's incredible. To where you actually will be made perfect being saved. Did you hear that? What Sozo is talking about is that when you are saved, when you've given your life to the Lord, what you and I are looking forward to someday is that we will be perfect. Not in this life, not here, but on the other side. The Bible is telling us that we will be made perfect. One day we will have perfect bodies, our souls will be perfected, and we will have been made whole. So listen carefully, the Bible tells us that our bodies will be saved. The, the Bible tells us our souls will be saved and our spirits, our spirit uh, has been saved if, if you have accepted what Christ has done on the cross for you. If you've accepted Jesus, then your spirit has been made perfect. If you've accepted Jesus, then you are in a perfect relationship with your spirit with God right now. You are in a perfect relationship with your spirit right now. Like God has a spirit, we have a spirit. 
And that spirit is either alive or dead in you. And if it's only dead if Jesus isn't the Lord and leader of your life. But once he becomes that, whether you feel it or not, man, he is perfect. He is perfect in you. And you are in perfect relationship with him, with your spirit. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because Jesus paid the full price for our sins to ultimately make you and I to be perfect. Ultimately, that's what we're going to see someday. It will be perfect. Remember, remember, we're digging here deep into spiritual truth. So hang with me. We've got to go deeper. In fact, uh, I want to talk to you about what happens when people get saved. And uh, there, there are seven points to the message. And don't worry about that at all because uh, I'm sure we can complete this in the three hours that I've allotted for the message today. So don't, don't worry about a thing. We'll get it done. Three hours or so. Um, and of course, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll be out of here in two hours. So... Uh, what happens when we get saved? When a person gets saved, number one, it's a gift. It's a gift. If you're following along, you can find that in your notes. It's a gift. My computer skills are not a gift. There it is. It is a gift. Um, <clears throat> it is a gift. And we have to. We have to, we have to, we have to get this right. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because if you don't, if you don't get this one right, right here, right now, it's going to mess everything up in your walk with God. Listen, salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. Salvation is not a goal to achieve. It is a gift to receive. And you cannot have it both ways. Listen to me. Raised Roman Catholic. I did a lot of good works trying to get to heaven over the years. And finally, I learned this truth in the Bible. That no matter how good I am, I'm not going to make it to heaven because I'm good. We only, make it, we only make it to heaven because of what God, it is a gift that's been given to us by God. That means being saved is a gift. Being saved is a gift. It is grace if it, is, if it is grace, then it is not of works. If it is works, then it's not grace. You can't have it both ways. Grace means gift. Go with me to, to Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. I mean, it's a rather complicated mess, uh, sentence that he wrote, compliment, um, word that he spoke here, but it's a reality. You can't have it both ways. It, you, you can't get to heaven because you're a good person and you're doing hard works and you believe in grace. It's one or the other. And the other is not going to take you to heaven. You need to understand that. We need to understand what God says within his word. Our salvation, being saved, is a gift to us from God. You can't, you cannot pay for the salvation of God. It is a gift, and it is an incredible gift. Amen. Amen. Point number two. Being saved, it is eternal life. Being saved, it is eternal life. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 and it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me emphasize here. This is God delivering to all of us a promise with this. He's offering to you and I a promise. And guess what? We're all sinners. We have all failed God miserably. We are all sinners, and he's promising of, uh, us a gift. And rather than us getting what we deserve, and what we deserve is to be separated from God, what we deserve is to be far from God and far from others for, for, forever. But God says, I will give you eternal life. 
I will give you eternal life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And it says, and this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God is what the Bible tells us. God's word is that you may know that you are not getting that what you deserve. You are not getting, um, you, you will not be eternally separated from God, but that you will know that you have eternal life. Two quick questions. Question number one, how long is eternal life? Anybody want to tell me how long is it? It's forever. That's right. It's forever. It's for all of eternity. <clears throat> the second question I have is when does it start? When, when, does, when does eternity or being, having life eternal, when does that start? The answer is when you die. When you die. But not the physical death. But when you, when, when you die to self, it starts when you die to your own way. That's when, it, when you begin eternal life. Is that when you are believing God and you are to that place that you are trusting in him. Um, you need to know that I died 16 years, when I was 16 years old, on July 5th, 1971, in the south side of Philadelphia. I died because I asked Jesus to give me all that he has, and I had to die to myself. Oh, I didn't do it perfectly. I was really up and down like a yo-yo, but the fact of the matter is, I made a decision on that July 5th, 1971, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Jesus forgave me of all of my sin, and he became the Lord and leader of my life. And it, be, it would be at that moment is when I begin my eternal life. You see, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day that Jesus is going to say to me, Randy, we've been living, we've been, we've been living in your house for a long time now. How about if you and I, let, let's you and I live in my house from here on out. And when he and I leave to go to his house together, this body, this body is going to fall down dead. And somebody's going to walk along and say, hey, look at that, PR's dead. He died. And once you see that, at that moment, I believe there's going to be the beginning of months and probably years of mourning for everybody because PR is in heaven now. I'm just kidding. I don't believe that at all. <laughs> but I thought it was a pretty funny statement. But anyhow, I didn't begin living forever when I died. I began living forever on July 5th, 1971. 47 years ago when I was 16 years old, Jesus came into my life and he changed everything for me. And he has been so good to me. Point number three, the thing that happens, point number three, it's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Acts chapter 13, verse 38, and it says these words, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Jeremiah 31, 34, and it says these words, no more. Nor, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. That's God speaking. God says, I will remember their sin no more. I don't want to know. But I am sure there are people in here in this church right now who regret some of the sinful decisions that they've made still haunts them. I mentioned that last week. Just haunts us as to what has gone on in our lives. He brings forgiveness to everyone. He says, I will remember their sin no more. Psalm 103, one of my favorites, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. 
Let me tell you what forgiveness is. There's a lot of definitions, but let me give you this definition. God's forgiveness, and uh, God's forgiveness is, um, it is complete, it is the complete release from the penalty that was against each and every one of us. Our forgiveness is the complete release of the penalty that was against every one of us, and that happened through Christ. It happened through Christ. It wasn't a partial release. God has chosen to remember my sins no more, is what he says. And, he, and, and, and it's not that he can't remember that because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. But he chooses not. So should you get to heaven before I get there? And you're standing there before the Father and you go, oh, 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 God. What about Randy Chiz and the sinful life that he lived? What, what about, and you know what God's going to say? He's going to look at him and say, I don't remember. And he's going to say that about you too. I don't remember. I just don't remember what it's about. You see, God makes a choice when I accept his son, and that is to remember my sins no more. And the Bible says he takes away my sin. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how far away from one another that is? It goes on for eternity. He will never remember our sin again. He will never remember. Would you give the Lord a round of applause? That is such good news. Good news, God. By the way, I think this is way better, way better of a deal than you seem to think that it is. In uh, number four, it's justification. Love, love this one. This is so powerful, justification. It is uh, being saved, it's justification. Being saved is being justified in the sight of God. Romans chapter three, verse 24. Being justified freely. Did you hear me? Being justified freely. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified freely. You can't earn to be justified. We have been justified freely, what the Bible says. I love Galatians chapter two, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we, Paul says, even we, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, listen, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, listen, no flesh shall be justified. Boom, is what he says. This is what the Apostle Paul tells every one of us. This is incredible. Before God, no one will be justified by the works of the law. It only comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you and I will be justified. What it means to be justified in the sight of God, it means, listen, it means that God is a just God. Listen carefully. And it is justice for him. Listen to me. And it is justice for him to sentence me and you to heaven. He, he sentenced us to heaven. And so many people mess this up because so many people say, if your God is such a loving God, then why does he send people to hell? Why do people end up going to hell? Listen, God doesn't send people to hell. We are already on our way to hell. People who have not received Christ, we are already on our way to hell. But God in his great grace and his great love for you and I sent his son so that we can go to heaven. And that's a decision that we make, that we would spend time with God in heaven. That's what God has done for you and I, because Jesus paid the full price of our sin. Let me say it to you another way. Since Jesus paid the full price for my sin, if I receive it, God has to let me go free. Why? Because he is a just God, and I am justified because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. Justified means just as if I haven't sinned. That's how God looks at you. That's how God looks at me when you receive Christ. 
When you believe that Jesus truly is the one who went to the cross and paid the penalty for your sin, when you believe that, when you receive that, you are just as if you have never sinned. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling to me. This is just mind-boggling. You see, God can't punish two people for the same crime. He already punished his son Jesus, his only begotten son, for the sins that I have committed and that you have committed. I have been justified freely by his grace. Point number five, it's righteousness. It's righteousness. Point number five, it's righteousness. Romans chapter four, verse three, and it says these words, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness is what the Bible says. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. It doesn't mean you're doing things right. Because <laughs> we don't. The fact of the matter is we didn't do anything right and Jesus did everything right. Amen. And it is accounted to us that we would have from him this righteousness. Now it uses the word here, it uses the word account and I want you to know that it, it is actually talking about accounts. It's talking about you know the, the accounts that we have money in this account, we have money in that account, whatever that may be. It may be only a few pennies but at least we have some money in another account. And it's talking about the word account. So let me explain this to you because this is, this is mind boggling. This is so incredible. It really is incredible. Being saved is so incredible. Being saved is so incredible. Talks about account, and it's literally in a, it's an account. So let me tell you about my account. Randy Chiz's account is loaded with sin. It was loaded with sin. Jesus' account is righteousness. Perfect. It's righteous. It's perfect. And here's what God did. And here's what God did, not just for me, but for every person who believes on Christ. Here's what God did. God took all of my sin out of my account and put it in Jesus' account. I don't think you get it. Don't start shouting out to me about the sins you've committed. I don't want to know. But we've done some very despicable, sinful, wicked, evil things to others, against others. We have been dead wrong in this. That's what was in my account. And my Savior, my Redeemer, whose name is Jesus, his account when he came to this world was perfect, without sin, sinless. And what God the Father did was to take, reach into my account of all of my sin and put it in the account of Jesus and what Jesus' account. And that would be why Jesus died that's why Jesus went to the cross was for your account being set free from sin and accusation of sin and then going into Jesus' account. Jesus ended up being that perfect sacrifice. He was found guilty for my sin and for your sin. I can't imagine it. I just can't fathom how God would do such a thing, how God would have that thought so that we would be saved so that we would be saved by God. It is just too incredible for me. Such love. Such love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's beyond my imagination. The Bible declares in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's a different translation what you're reading right now. I memorized that that way. 
But that's what the Bible says. We who were loaded with sin, Jesus who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we would become righteous before God. God has actually taken the sin of the whole world, whether you know it or not, took the sin of the whole world and put them in Jesus' account. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. For every person in the world, every person in the world, their sins have been paid for by God. Every person in the world, your neighbor, the guy who's next door that drives you, his sin is forgiven by God. Their sin is forgiven. But yet they're not saved. They're not saved yet. Why? Because you have to believe and you have to accept what Jesus did on the cross for you to experience that kind of righteousness, that your sin has now been washed away because of what Jesus said. So in other words, God took all of my sin and put it in Jesus' account when I believed. So when I believed, he took, he took uh, Jesus' righteousness and put it into my account is what happened. It was a transfer of accounts. When Abraham believed God, the Bible says God put righteousness in his account. Listen, you have a choice. Every person in the world, their sin has already been paid for. And you may be thinking, then why do people go to hell? Why are people going to hell? The Bible doesn't say that we simply go to hell because of sin. It says that he who believes has life, but he who doesn't believe doesn't have life. You have to believe what Jesus has done for you so much that you follow after him from this day forward. You believe in what he has done. You trust in what he has done. Number six is redemption. Number six is redemption. When you are saved, what it means is it is redemption. Another incredible one. It says in Romans chapter three, verse 24, it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you, listen, you are not your own. You are not your own. It's redemption. It's redemption. I love what it says in verse 20. It says in verse 20, for you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price. You are purchased. If you believe on Jesus, if you've made him to be Lord and leader of your life, if you believe that what he did on the cross was for your sin and your sin is forgiven, you need to know you've been paid for, man. You've been bought. You've been bought by God. You have been redeemed. You have been purchased. You have been redeemed by God. If you're saved, you are redeemed. And that means that you've been purchased back by God. I say that because in the very beginning, God gave ownership to this world to a couple by the name of Adam and Eve. And he said, I want you to have dominion. This is yours. Go and have dominion. Well, of course, they lost it to Satan as a result of the sin that they committed. And Jesus came back and he legally purchased it back from the enemy. He purchased the world and every person of the world. And now he owns them all is what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that we are created in the very image of God because that means that we now have a free will. We are created in the image of God. And even though he bought back, he paid for us, you and I still have a choice. You and I have a free will to say yes to him or to say no to him. However it may be, it's up to you. You need to choose whether you want to follow Christ or not. If you don't want to follow him, that's fine. That's your decision. But if you want to, and if you haven't yet, you can do that today. This thing, this word being saved can be a part of your life, like it's a part of many of our lives in this room. 
You can experience that if you want. I shared with you last week that there was a time in my life shortly after I got saved, a year or so, a year and a half, two years later, that I fell away from God. I went back into my sin. I went back into things that was even worse. I'm not proud of it. I don't even like to talk about it. But God rescued me again. And do you know why God rescued me again? <laughs> you want to know why? It's almost like God is saying something like this. You're not going back to your old you. Oh, no, you're not. You belong to me now. You are mine. I love you. I paid for a full price for you. You are mine. You're not going back to that lifestyle. And what God ended up doing was rescuing me. He rescued me. I could have continued on in that sinful, wicked lifestyle, but he was there. He reached in and he rescued me. It was almost like he grabbed me by the neck and says, come on, get your head together in this, man. Understand where you're going. Understand what you're doing. And the last and final thing that happens when you are saved, you have to understand it's now a total commitment. It's a total commitment. One of the most sobering scriptures in the Word of God is found in Matthew chapter 7. One of the most sobering scriptures calling us to a total commitment to God. Because the last step of your salvation, of being saved, is that you're totally committed. God wants you to be totally committed. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in, uh, say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, we have, not, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. My question, my question to you is, who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your life? These six previous things that I just talked to, this quick list that I went through, all of that has happened so that you can be saved. It would be a confirmation that you would be saved, that you have given your life to Jesus. And it's incredible what God has done. It is beyond our imagination all of that God has done so that we can be saved. He's crossed every T, dotted every I. It is perfect. Again, I say it's incredible how gracious he is, how reckless that love of God really is for you and me and everybody. But Jesus warns of self-deception. He warns of a self-deception, meaning mere verbal, verbal let me say it again, mere verbal profession without obedience could be deadly. Mere verbal profession without obedience, it could be deadly. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, it's even, it, it is even possible for a self-deluded person to exercise a spectacular ministry using the authority of all the scriptures and speaking in the name of Jesus they said, we even cast out demons in your name. And they left. And they would flee. But all without walking in a genuine obedient, obedience discipleship, following after God. For that particular person, it says in verse 23, again, it says in verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Be gone. Depart from me. So maybe your question right now is then, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? How can I know for sure? And I believe it boils down to the one question we're talking about today. 
Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Who has the final say of the decisions that you make within your life? Who's in charge? Is it you? Are you the one that makes the final decision regarding your life? I don't care what Marianne says. I don't care what Pastor Jeremiah says. I don't care what anybody. I'm going to do what I want to do. Is that your thought? How about others? Maybe there are some people in your life who really seem to usurp some kind of authority in your life and you do what they say. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to do that. Or maybe it's our world. Maybe it's our society. Maybe it's an addiction that we have. There are all kinds of things that direct our lives. And I want to know from you, who, who's making the decisions? Who's in charge? Because if you're just playing the game and not truly following Christ and committed to God, according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it seems to speak to me. I suppose we can argue about this if you want someday. But it seems to me that if that's the kind of lifestyle you're going to live, then you just might not make it to heaven. I say it again. You just might not make it to heaven. Jesus is clear in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Read it on your own again. I don't want to take the time. It takes total commitment to receive this free gift. And it's time to say yes to God. It's time that you would do this. My life is not my own anymore. God, it's yours. It's time to do that today. By the way, I want you to know he is the God of second chances. So maybe you already gave your life to Christ and you've fallen away and now you're sitting here saying, what do I do, man? I, I, I was following God strong in my faith and now all of a sudden, look at my lifestyle. Look at what I've been doing. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of 10,000 chances if you're ready to come back to him. I just encourage you to do that. He is the God of second chances. And if you have any question or doubt in your mind if you're saved or not, why not deal with that right now? We're, we're going we're gonna to conclude this service in just a matter of a few moments. We're going to sing one last final song. In fact, if I could have our intercessors make their way down here with me right now. In fact, would you all stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. We're going to sing a final song. And as we do, these intercessors have been praying in another room for the last 40 minutes while the service has been going on. And they're ready to pray for your need, whatever that is. Whatever need you have in your life. And maybe one of those needs would be is that I want to commit my life to Jesus. See, that's a decision that only you can make regarding your personal life. But these intercessors are here to pray for them. You, just, you don't have to give them a whole story. Just let them know. I'm sick. I'm making a big decision. Whatever your issue is, and let them, let them pray for you. So if you're wondering today if you really are still saved or not, then why not, why not seal the deal right now? Why wouldn't you? So, Father, I pray. I pray for all of us who have heard this wonderful message of the amazing, amazing, wonderful grace of God who has saved us. I pray, God, that we would just be fully surrendered to you. I pray for my church. I pray for our guests and visitors who may be here, who may not know the Lord yet. I, I just pray that they would see this amazing grace of God that comes our way. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead and begin to lead. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on down immediately. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're new to our church, I want to let you know about a super exciting thing that we have going on currently. Our life path is a three-step process to getting involved and connected to our church. The first step is on the first week of the month, second step, second week of the month, and third step on the third week of the month. We can't wait to see you there as we grow together to become more connected, committed, and contagious. 